Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz Podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 265, and today's guest is Udi Ziv, CEO of Ernix. Whether it was being a member of an advanced studies program as a child, to moving to Los Angeles from Israel as a teenager, or his experiences being part of an elite team called Unit 8200 of the Israeli Defense Forces, Udi has always been up for a challenge and has a passion for solving hard problems. This passion has continued throughout his career as he took the leap of faith into entrepreneurship towards the beginning of his career by building an enterprise software company that was later acquired by SAP. Udi is now looking to replicate the same level of success that he's had at multiple enterprise software companies at Ernix. The company is a global provider of real-time AI-driven rating, dynamic pricing, product personalization, and fully operationalized telematic solutions for insurance and banking. Ernix achieved unicorn status last year after its latest funding round and recently opened its new North American headquarters in Waltham, Massachusetts. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like the overview of the tech and startup industry in Israel and the momentum there, Udi's full background story and his experience scaling and growing enterprise software companies, all the details on Ernix plus use cases and customer examples, details on the growth plans for hiring at Ernix and what it's like working there in terms of its culture, advice for entrepreneurs and CEOs who are looking to expand in the United States, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. If you are listening to this podcast, then it is very likely that you are interested in the founder journey and the lessons learned around building companies. So please make sure you don't miss any episodes by subscribing to the VentureFizz podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Google Play. Oh, and don't forget to leave us a review. It really, really does help us out. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Udi. Udi, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you because you've had a great, great career in the world of enterprise software and the current company that you're CEO at, Ernix, is absolutely just growing, growing, growing with so much great activity. So before we get into your background and all the great things going on at Ernix, I do want to talk to you about uh, Israel, which the ecosystem over there. So Ernix has, you know, obviously was started over there, has a location in Waltham now. But the ecosystem in Israel is just absolutely exploding. There's so many great companies in the tech industry. There's a lot of venture capital investing. So I thought it'd be helpful for our audience just to understand kind of the, the ecosystem and what's happening over there. Yeah, actually, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, you know, Israel is probably the most vibrant and, and active per capita startup scene. Uh, this is not new. It's been there for a few decades, actually. And, uh, you know, considering myself fortunate to be part of this phenomena for, for a little over 30 years now. You know, a lot of people ask why, what's so special about Israel? And, and you know, I'll say up front, I mean, it's not because Israel has, you know, smarter people than, than anywhere else. I think it's, it's uh, generally speaking, it's a combination of kind of two things that uh, join into, into a very significant force. Uh, one is, uh, at least in the, in, in the old days, when Israel is a young country, it's, uh, it's survival. You know, survival makes you very creative in, in many fronts. And then, you know, just the conditioning of uh, achieving the unachievable. And, and you know, pe- people are getting, and I, and I can share a little, maybe of my stories a little further uh, down that, you know, how, how people are basically conditioned to think differently, to think in a non-linear fashion, and then drive things that are considered impossible. And I think the combination of the two is actually what makes Israel 
this very successful uh, uh, place for uh, for many startups. And and if I may, I mean, there is a difference in the last few years. I think uh, for many years, Israel bred startups that got to a certain point and basically got stuck, uh, usually acquired by other companies, including you know, my, my own uh, personal story. Nowadays, I think these uh, this glass ceiling has been broken completely. And, and all of a sudden, some of the most successful companies in the world are startups that started in Israel and now become multi-billion dollar companies, which is very, very exciting for, uh, for Israel and I think for, uh, for innovation around the world. Yeah. And when I look at the companies that uh, I'm aware of in Israel, and I always consider the Boston ecosystem and Israel very similar because there's a lot of hard problems that are being solved through tech. It's, uh, you know, it's, you know, cybersecurity, it's, you know, uh, enterprise software, you know, there's not a lot of like small ideas that may morph into something bigger. It's like, we're going to tackle really hard problems that are tough and hopefully build a company around it. And uh, so I always consider Boston and Israel to be, uh, closely aligned as it relates to that, as well as, you know, there are a lot of companies that do build out their outposts in Boston because of, you know, location. So there's a lot of commonalities there. Well, let's rewind the clock. So um, what were you like as a child when you were growing up and kind of walk us through kind of those formative years? Yeah, look, uh, you know, I grew up uh, in an Israel that is very different than it is now. Uh, you know, my parents, uh, my, my late father, uh, I uh, was an immigrant, a post-Holocaust immigrant uh, from Eastern Europe. Uh, my mom was uh, uh, born to uh, born in Israel, but to uh, Polish immigrants. Very kind of low middle class, had nothing to start their lives, uh, which is very common in, 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 in the days in Israel. And, you know, I, I, you know, I look at it as great days. You know, we as kids, we small apartments, so we were all in the streets, you know, after school playing. It's like going to camp every day. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun, very different than the, experience, the screen experience that uh, many kids uh, are seeing now. That, that was actually phenomenal uh, upbringing. Uh, um, Aside that, you know, I was, uh, <laughs> as second grader, I was uh, drafted into an experiment of uh, a school for gifted children, uh, which, uh, you know, they, they didn't call it an experiment at the time. Uh, they uh, basically took uh, like 30 of us uh, from the whole city where I grew up in and basically put us in class and said, uh, you're smart, uh, let's teach you much more advanced things. So at second and third grade, I... I was uh, was learning uh, uh, university math. I didn't understand anything, but uh, oh, <laughs> and yeah, and and uh, you know that's why I call it an experiment. They really didn't know what they were doing. They uh, uh, basically said, "You're smart. You'll figure it out." Uh, first of all, I wasn't sure I was part of that group anyway. But uh, but luckily, you know, after a few years uh, of this experiment, uh, my father got a. Uh, a job in in the states in the Israeli consulate uh, in Los Angeles, several places, and as a fourteen year old Israeli kid, in now I'm going to give up my name, uh, my uh, age, nineteen eighty, uh, <laughs> uh, I was fourteen, uh, moved with the family to the states. Now I didn't want to go. Uh, I mean, it's you know this camp environment of everyone you know being together and. and and having fun. Plus, it's not an easy age to move to a different culture. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, I look at maybe two or three real milestones that completely changed my life in a positive way. Uh, complete game changers. And I think this is one of them. So I really didn't want to go, but I've 
you know, at 14, I didn't have a choice. I joined my parents um, coming into uh, a very, very different culture, uh, obviously different language, uh, which at the time I only had a very basic skill. Uh, and, uh, and just everything was very different. And, and getting accepted in a, in a society that is so different, uh, it's not easy. And, uh, you know, I, I, it took a year, I guess, out of the three years I was uh, there in high school uh, to basically get accepted by everyone, uh, to learn the language in a, in a way that I could you know, communicate and, and sound normal. Uh, but, by the, but when that happened, basically, it all just became an amazing, amazing experience. And I think uh, today, to, you know, not only the language, but also the understanding of, of different cultures and, and the ability to think that differently and think that not everything you've grown up with is, uh, is the same everywhere, I think are great, great tools. Plus, uh, you know, since the first year wasn't easy, um, I did two things. I watched a lot of television. This is how I learned my, my English. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, uh, very much recommended as uh, if you move to a different country, that's the best way to learn. Uh, okay. But then I, I, I resorted to something that, again, completely changed my life. Uh, you know, when people weren't so accepting, uh, computers were because they mm -hmm. didn't care that I was a foreigner, that I didn't speak the language. Uh, so I spent a lot of time, my, my school uh, had a very significant uh, computer studies in the early 80s, which was unique, and also a, a significant data processing, this is what it was called in the past, uh, department where uh, they actually after a while allowed me to, uh, uh, to do some work actually for them, which, uh, so I spent my time, a lot of time with the computers, uh, both in, in class, but also programming. Uh, uh, school administrative programs, uh, which really is what set me into this wonderful profession uh, for life. Because yeah, then when you did move back to Israel, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but most um, citizens then joined the Israeli military before school, but you were granted an exception to that. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's true. Uh, the normal course is you finish high school, go to the mandatory army service, uh, and then go to university. Uh, I was 17 when I uh, uh, went back to Israel, a year younger than my my old friends, and kind of wasn't sure this was the right time to go to the army. Uh, there is a program that they allow uh, uh, certain people to go through university first and then serve longer in the army, but serve in, in your profession. And I, I kind of jumped all over that uh, and naturally moved into a, a study uh, at Technion, which is kind of the Israeli MIT, that's what it's considered. Uh, computer engineering, which was very, very natural, quote, you know, after what I've done in high school, uh, which again, uh, a second game changer maybe, uh, because it led me, and I was fortunate enough to, uh, from, from uh, university to go directly to the, what, the famous kind of unit 8200 um, in the Israeli army, which uh, I think this was kind of the, the, the final making of who I am uh, and my 30 plus years of, of enterprise software career. Uh, it's a very special unit. Uh, it, uh, you know, it takes young kids. I was 21 when I started. Uh, 
and just tasks them with uh, impossible things, literally. Uh, you know, if, if this is of interest, I, you know, we first, my first day, uh, they kind of grouped five of us. Uh, four, just by myself, zero experience, meaning fresh out of school. And one, the experienced person had two years of experience. I mean, it's, it's almost funny. And they, uh, they basically said, look, there's uh, this communication device that is being used by the enemy. It's considered impossible uh, to listen to. Uh, here is a thick kind of uh, manual, the spec. Go build a system that, uh, that can listen to that device. Now, never done anything even close to that, obviously. Uh, but just the, the you know, handing, handing, over, handing over such a task to a group of people that probably are, you know, talented, but don't have the, uh, the experience or the know-how. We started asking questions and, and every time we kind of thought we were gonna hit a wall, what they've told us is just think differently. Forget what you have learned. And this is where, you know, forget the linear thinking, kind of the process oriented thinking and just think nonlinear, think in multiple dimensions. Uh, and slowly but surely we started figuring out, yeah, there is a way. And, uh, and you know, a couple of years later, to cut a long story short, uh, obviously I cannot share much more, but uh, there was, uh, uh, we built a hardware and software system in real time that can actually do what was tasked. And, and first of all, I mean, made us all very proud, but proved to me that if you manage it correctly and you have talented people, you really can achieve what the unachievable. Uh, again, great. It was a great experience as a young professional, but it, uh, but it, I think it's a lifetime learning of nonlinear thinking in general, and and really the ability to achieve the unachievable. Yeah, and I, I think that speaks to you know out of the military forces that you started a company with uh, a friend and his father, right? Yeah, so you know, uh, when when I when I went to school, uh, I was I was young, I was seventeen. I met uh, another young kid. I mean, yeah, that age you can say kid. Uh, his name is Chaigas. He was fifteen, so we were kind of the youngest in 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 the class. Uh, and naturally, we kind of connected, uh, and did a lot of our studying together. Then kind of split apart when we all both went our army ways. Um, but then right before I, uh, I finished my five years uh, army service, uh, I got a call from Shai and, and he basically said, look, do you want to join my father and I? We're starting this company. Uh, and, and, you know, we just said it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, which I guess it's a good value prop. Uh, <laughs> and I said, sure, you know, yeah, I'm still young. And I, I thought, uh, I mean, I really enjoyed, you know, his company and his, his, his wisdom and, uh, so I said, of course, I didn't know what we're gonna do and, and how we're gonna do it. Uh, it's very, very um, difficult to, to comprehend. In 1991, when this happened, uh, Israel did not have any VCs. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're now in Israel, we're one of the most vibrant VC, uh, very active uh, Israeli and global VCs. I mean, zero, zero VCs. So everything had to be bootstrapped, which, which is a challenge, but fun. Uh, and yeah, we started a company that later on we called Top Tier, uh, enterprise portal company. Uh, I was uh, my boss, friend, mentor uh, was Shai, Shai Gassi, and uh, together for 
10 years, uh, we went through the wildest of roller coasters uh, of startups. I mean, what is in the movies and books, uh, you know, sleeping bags and pizzas and, and really uh, going through, almost going under a few times. Uh, but eventually, again, to cut a long story short, uh, very successfully selling the company to, uh, to SAP. Uh, in 2001, right after the, you know, we're talking about the crises uh, of, uh, what is it, uh, 2022. Uh, that was the uh, end of the uh, dot-com bubble uh, where everything was going under. And we were, were able to very successfully sell the company to SAP, uh, which, uh, you know, got us, again, uh, to, to uh, be able to say that we've proven that something that was considered a tiny company out of Israel that is basically claiming it will be the front end for these giants enterprise software companies, and, and it happened. And, uh, and so we're grateful for SAP to seeing you know, the, uh, the innovation, but also for allowing a giant company. They were, I think at the time, much larger now, but at the time there were 35,000 people we were like 270 and they allowed us to be a very uh, active change agent within SAP, transforming it into a much more modern global type of company. Uh, again, we're grateful for them for the, having the vision uh, that, you know, a tiny company can really change a giant uh, like, uh, like SAP. So you never raised outside capital? Like did, did uh, any funding event ever happen or is it just, yeah, good question. Uh, halfway through, uh, we almost went under and we raised a little bit of money, uh, uh, but it was very little uh, that allows us basically to get back on our feet and uh, and, and continue from, from that point. Got it. So what did you do after SAP? Well, I actually, uh, I chose to stay quite a few years at SAP. I felt that, uh, and this maybe is a good advice to, to a lot of people, you learn a lot by starting your own company, by building a business, uh, by doing it on your own. Uh, but that's limited in scale. And I think what I uh, thought I was missing is like, uh, what does it really mean to scale? What does it really mean to be, you know, the, uh, the largest uh, in what you're doing and the, the most successful in what you're doing, uh, which is something you usually don't get when you're a small startup. So I, I looked at SAP as a great school. I mean, if we were the crazy startup that can innovate and can build things that others can't, uh, to kind of match that, I moved into a very well-established company with uh, uh, the largest enterprise software company in the world uh, with a lot of processes and a lot of right way of doing things uh, and, and the right way to scale, which was uh, very, very different than what I learned. and and. I think up to this point, I, I'm saying that uh, I think the, the the very balanced combination of uh, being an entrepreneur, being crazy, taking risks, et cetera, and at the same time learning from the most established uh, uh, systematic type of company uh, is, is, has given me a, a great balance in how I look at uh, both the ability to innovate, but then doing it the right way that is sustainable for the long term, et cetera. Got it. Yeah, no, it's good to have that solid background of that SAP and startup. It definitely is very formative in itself. Um, so what did you do after? Um, 
after I think seven years after the acquisition, I decided to leave, uh, work with some startups uh, in, in uh, uh, advisory board member, investor type of role. But then honestly, I felt I was too young to have such a retired uh, uh, career. Uh, and I went back to a full-blown operation in a company that is called Nice Systems, which is uh, uh, the leading uh, customer interaction uh, company. It was a great run. Uh, we were scaling up very quickly, a lot of acquisitions, uh, building and kind of a new paradigm to what customer interaction is, moving from a call center into the uh, combination of call center and internet uh, type of customer interaction. A great run, uh, significant growth, a lot of acquisitions, um, that, done that for four years. But then kind of stopped and said, I, I, I miss the, uh, the smaller company uh, uh, atmosphere, mentality, can-do um, attitude. Uh, and from NICE, after four years, uh, moved into uh, actually my current and uh, uh, part of my career, uh, what I call the scale-up uh, part, which, which in a sense is kind of bringing everything I've done you know, in my career uh, uh, into play, uh, being a smaller entrepreneur-like company and at the same time a company that is scaling up and what does it mean to scale up, how do you scale up in a systematic way. So uh, first company was called Qantas, which we've grown and scaled up, successfully sold it uh, uh, after four years to, uh, to Amdocs, uh, the telecom giant. Uh, again, I was in my smaller company part of my career, so I opted not to stay. Uh, at Amdocs, uh, and then got a call from one of the investors uh, of Ernix, um, introducing something that I thought was uh, very, very interesting um, in terms of uh, making an impact in the world. And, uh, and here I am five years later. That's a perfect segue. So Ernix, what's, uh, what does the company do? So Renix is, uh, is a company that is transforming insurance and banking in a way that enables uh, probably two of the most important industries in the world, right? I mean, they're the foundation of the world economy, basically, uh, touching almost every individual and every business around the world, uh, enabling them to transform uh, in, a, in an easy way uh, to become fully personalized and dynamic, meaning real-time uh, uh, companies and how they serve their business, their customers, sorry. And, and this is very significant because if you think, and, and everyone, everyone that is listening to this uh, uh, can probably relate to uh, our experience with banks and insurance companies. And it's, it's usually a little outdated versus what we're used to in other industries. Um, historically, these industries did not see the need to be different and to be dynamic, be fully personalized. Uh, but competitive pressures, consumer demands uh, are changing that. And, and all of a sudden, these companies that have tremendously smart people are saying we really must be serving our customers differently in a, in a personalized, fully dynamic uh, manner. But then they look internally and they say, we just cannot do it because of our infrastructure. So what Ernix had done uh, throughout the years, we've built an end-to-end -end solution that enables uh, a bank or, or an insurance company to basically uh, 
put a layer on top of their existing infrastructure. So it doesn't require this impossible forklifting, uh, which is just, just impossible in terms of cost and time. Uh, so with this smart layer that we're putting in, we're enabling the organizations to basically have the ability to fully get the data, analyze them analytically with the most advanced analytics, and then take action in real time in a, in a personalized manner, offering every customer the right exact right offer at the right price which is critical uh uh at the right time or context uh and doing that without the need again to completely change all the infrastructure that exists now some customers say it's almost like magic uh but it works it works beautifully and it transforms our organization within a few short months which is uh in, in these industries a blink of an eye uh, into a very, very different um, uh, uh, companies and how they serve their customers. Um, if you look, you know, in, into the future, and, and some claim the future is now, an organization that's not going to be acting in a fully personalized, dynamic, real-time manner with its customers is probably going to become irrelevant. We as consumers or, or businesses, we're not going to have the patience for organizations that don't serve us that way. And we feel that at Ernix, and this is uh, probably why we've grown so much, uh, is we have found a way that is uh, optimal in a sense that it allows the companies to do exactly what they need to do without, again, the hassle of the multi-year, hundreds of millions of dollars of investment needed to uh, change their infrastructure. So what would this look like for the consumer? Like I know this Ernex is a platform that's used, you know, by banks and insurance companies. So you're B2B, but then the 2C, so B2B to C, what would like a consumer experience that's like powered by Ernex, but you'd have no idea? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And, and you know, my, my real passion uh, throughout the years has been B2B to C and or basically taking data, applying advanced analytics to help the business, the B into uh, making the C works better. Uh, so it's, it's an excellent question. At the end of the day, uh, if you think of what uh, banks and insurance companies are doing now, they're basically offering us as, you know, collectively more or less the same things. And uh, without really understanding what are the needs, uh, uh, both in terms of uh, uh, the product and the variance of the products, but also in terms of what can I afford in terms of price, and definitely they don't understand when is the right time to offer. So, so from a consumer perspective, think of you getting exactly what you need from your insurance company, which sounds like you know, something that uh, is, is science fiction. But if they understand better how you're, let's say, driving your car and, and, and where are you driving it? And, and uh, uh, for example, they can offer you the right uh, roadside assistance versus just a generic one that uh, may not cover you when you're a little further out uh, than, than most people. Or if you're, uh, if you're a, a bank and you're, you know, again, taking auto as a, as a concept, if you were getting a, an auto loan, uh, imagine getting a few offers uh, that are each tailored in a, in a smart way to your, towards your needs uh, to choose from. So it's not, uh, here's, you know, an, an offer with a, with a certain interest rate, uh, but rather here's a more complex combination analytically uh, defined for you, making it the right thing for your uh, appetite and your affordability. And at the same time, and it's very important, 
making sure it's affordable for the bank as well. So the kind of getting the win-win, what we say, between the business and the consumer, getting the consumer to be happy or the, or the business that is uh, getting the loan or the insurance uh, uh, to be happy, getting exactly what they need at the uh, uh, exact price and exact time, uh, and at the same time, making it sustainable for the business, making it uh, profitable. Uh, that's the, uh, the smarts of the system. And doing that in real time uh, is, uh, is kind of where it, it all ties together. You, you know, a customer of ours uh, was on stage in a conference saying that prior to Ernix, their ability to make a change, basically to offer different uh, products and prices to the market, regardless of their need to do so took them between four to six months and post earnings it's now taking them four days wow. and that includes uh all the internal approval so think of you know twice a year to twice a week mm -hmm. type of organization and, and think of the impact of of driving that uh towards doing the right thing for your customers uh and, and and you know if you think of the dynamic nature of the market, uh, you know COVID was obviously causing banks and insurance companies to act very differently, but now inflation does, and mm -hmm. so every time there's something that is very different, interest rate, inflation, uh, and if you're unable as a business to change in real time, and you know to, to three days is real time. Uh, if you're unable to do it, you're basically irrelevant. And you're basically, you know, six months later, you make a change that was relevant six months before. And three new trends have come up during that time that you're basically not addressing. Uh, so the ability to do the smart thing in a, in a very fast manner. And at the same time, you know, these are very, the most regulated industries in the world, uh, making sure you're fully compliant because the regulators are basically protecting us customers. Uh, that's very, very significant. But this is why we think at Ernix that uh, we're really transforming an industry. We call this intelligent insurance operations or banking operations, uh, we're, because basically we're, we're enabling this layer that I was talking about is, is enabling a very different way to operate the business in an intelligent real-time manner. So what's the current state of the company as far as, um, you know, number of employees. And, you know, I, I know uh, we kind of highlighted this already a little bit, but the expansion into uh, the Boston area with, uh, with the Waltham office. Yeah. So we crossed uh, 350 people uh, just to give it, to put perspective, more than doubled uh, in the last two years. Uh, we're very global from a business perspective. Uh, you know, one of the advantages of, of a company starting in Israel is that Israel is a very small market. You never aim for the Israeli market. So you, you think global uh, uh, from, from day one, we sell in 35 countries, uh, which is uh, quite significant. Uh, obviously the largest of sites outside of Israel where uh, you know the, the, the R&D and the data scientists are, uh, is in the US and headquartered here in Waltham. Uh, we, uh, we're growing very nicely uh, in a very sustainable manner. Uh, last year, we, we raised around the unicorn round, uh, uh, which you know, was, was, I think, a good uh, uh, indication to what we've done in the past, but probably even a better indication to what the investors think we, we're doing or will be doing in the future. Uh, and just to explain, without going to the specifics, uh, what type of company Ernix is, we 
we have in the bank more money than we've ever raised, meaning uh, we're a true business with a true business model uh, that works for our customers. Um, very ha happy customer base, uh, probably record-breaking uh, retention or renewal uh, in our uh, subscription uh, licenses. Uh, customers love the, the what they're getting because you know they're getting a lot of value because it works. And if I may, I think they 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 really enjoy interacting with the earnings people uh, in terms of uh, you know bringing them value. So uh, you know it's a very fast-growing company, very successful, out on a mission to uh, to really change the world. Because if you think of changing insurance and banking, if you do that, you basically indirectly change every single person, every single business around the globe. So what's it like to work there? What's the culture like at Ernix? Uh, you know, I think Ernix is very unique in the sense that uh, I would say customer well-being is at the heart of everything that we do. Uh, you know, I mentioned that customers love working with the, with the Ernix team because they feel in every single uh, situation, they feel it's like the, the Ernix folks are, are part of their team. Uh, you know, I, when I joined Ernix five years ago, I, I, I went on a, on a customer uh, uh, tour and I heard time and time again how they loved working with the people because they always felt they were not keeping any, any, anything to themselves. They're not trying to protect data that uh, uh, they may be able to sell consulting with. Uh, it was pure. We would love you to be successful and we will do everything that we can to make that happen. And I think it shows in our, again, retention numbers. Uh, or renewal numbers, it's it's uh, they're phenomenal. Uh, so that's one thing that's uh, that's very very special. Um, Ernix has zero tolerance to personal agendas. I think it's uh, it's a very you know I've been around, I've worked in other places. It's a very unique place where we're all in it for a mission, and the mission is to change the world and 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 doing it together. There's no one individual or a group that. Uh, is, is trying to uh, uh, highlight itself versus others, uh, which usually is, uh, you know, slowly but surely is, is kind of poison within a company. So it's very unique in that sense. And, you know, so far it's been extremely successful. And I think we're recruiting people on that front. People are saying that when in the recruiting process, they feel it's a different company. Now, you talked about, uh, you know, if you're building a company in Israel, you need to think globally. Um, so you've built outposts in many different countries. So uh, what advice would you have for entrepreneurs or CEOs that are looking to expand in the, the U.S. market? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, the first advice, it's different. It's different than any other market in the world. Uh, you know, it's not the language, definitely. Uh, it's just a very different dynamic. Uh, and if you don't, uh, respect that. I think uh, I always say, you know, start from the third try or the third attempt because the first two usually fail. Uh, so it has to be uh, uh, done respecting that the uh, the fact that the U.S. market is very different. Uh, um, my biggest advice would be, don't as an entrepreneur or CEO, don't outsource the the growth into North America in general to others. Be very very involved, even if you have no experience uh, in doing it. Obviously, hire the right people that, that have the experience, but be very much involved because it's so different than other markets around the globe that if, if 
the heart of the company is not part of it, uh, uh, it's probably not, the, the, the disconnect is going to be very more significant and, and will probably make the, the company fail. So definitely uh, hire the right professionals, uh, uh, which is not easy. Uh, you know, uh, there's always a saying that salespeople sell so well, or the good ones that uh, they sell to you when they're interviewing. It's not easy uh, to, to get the right people, but definitely don't, don't sell for, for anything but the best, uh, even if it takes you a long time, but then be very, very much involved. Don't think you can outsource to the best of people and, uh, and just you know, hope that they will make it happen. Yeah, because I'm sure there's lots of service providers out there that make lots of promises of expansion into the U.S. for sales and marketing. Absolutely. Yeah. What about scaling enterprise software companies? That's, you know, when you're, you know, an executive founder, CEO, whatever, and you finally hit that product market fit and you're like, okay, maybe you raise a growth round of capital, but how do you like scale the company successfully across, you know, hiring and operations and sales? I mean, there's so much involved with that scale level. Yeah, I would say two things. Um, um, first of all, and, and probably uh, uh, the most important thing is, uh, you know, younger companies usually have this hero uh, mentality and hero operations. Basically, a few people, mostly in most cases, the founders or the select initial group in the company. That really know what they're doing, uh, really have the experience, um, and most of the success to a certain point is attributed to what they're doing, to their knowledge, their experience, their smarts. Um, and then you hit it big, uh, maybe with a significant round of investment, uh, and all of a sudden now you have to translate that hero company into a more systematic. Uh, operational company and that is very difficult because it's uh it's misleading because you think you know they've done it it's probably doable just hire people and they will be able to do it but but it's not the case and and what you need to actually do is it's almost reverse engineer or decipher what made these heroes successful what is uh what have they done and usually these heroes are not great at uh Kind of uh, putting on paper what what they're doing, how they're thinking. So the ability to basically say, here's the reverse engineering of what they've done. Here's what we need to provide for the newcomers that are not heroes anymore. They're just very solid A players, uh, but they need to be taught. They need to be explained how to do things. And in many cases, you would see a, a graph of a company going you know, like hockey stick as long as the heroes are able to uh, to drive it. And then when, you know, the few individuals cannot carry that growth anymore, all of a sudden you see uh, a company that is struggling with handing over this hero company into a more systematic. Uh, so that's one thing I would uh, put a lot of, a lot of investment in uh, explicitly. Uh, the second thing is, uh, and this is something I've done uh, in, in the companies that I've managed, uh, Often when a company is built organically, you get a lot, a lot of talented people in very senior uh, position, uh, all of which have grown with a single company experience. 
And uh, I think what I've found is that the cross-pollination between these very uh, smart, capable individuals uh, that have grown the company so far, cross-pollinating it with uh, external people, mostly that have seen scale. They've come from larger companies that know what it means to operate in scale. If you blend it the right way, uh, that is probably the best combination because then you have the spirit of the people that have built the company and the drive, et cetera, coupled with the experience of, of true scale. And, and I think these two are probably my, my biggest advice to, uh, to anyone who's uh, scaling up a company. Uh, I, you know, there was some reports, I think maybe last year that, you know, the fintech industry had the most venture capital dollars or something to that effect. I don't know if that's exact or not, but the, um, you know, there's been a lot of capital in fintech and insurtech. So are there still opportunities for startups to innovate in that, in those sectors with all the different startups trying to tackle different issues? Absolutely. You know, just, uh, as a funny story, uh, probably 15 years ago, maybe a little longer, uh, one of the most significant VCs, I'm obviously not going to mention the names, uh, basically told me as an advice that enterprise software is done and they're not going to invest in enterprise software because, uh, you know, it's been all consumed and it's now all about consumer and, and other stuff. Fast forward, the largest and most successful companies in the world are, are new enterprise software companies. Uh, there's absolutely room for more. I think if you look at uh, specifically around, uh, you know, uh, fintech or insurtech, um, we haven't even scratched the surface. Uh, And we're seeing a phenomena uh, of a lot of attempts, some of which have risen like a a star and some have fallen like stars. Uh, So we're still in, in the early stages of experimentation of what works, what doesn't work. Uh, but if you think fundamentally, and you know, it's easy to, uh, uh, everyone can, can basically figure it out. If you think of how banks and insurance companies are operating, and we all do know that because we're all customer customers of, of these industries, you know they're not there yet. And you know there's plenty. And from my perspective, a uh, combination of uh, the most advanced analytics, uh, real-time personalization, if you tie none of which is basically things that uh, insurance and banks are, are doing nowadays or doing in a, in a systematic way. Uh, there's plenty to be done uh, in order to help them transform and basically move them to uh, maybe the next generation uh, of, uh, of uh, how they run their businesses. Yeah, that's so true. There's so much opportunity still, just as you highlighted as a consumer, you see these inefficiencies. You're like, really, I can't do that? Like, how, but I can in this industry, why can't I do it here? So yeah, there's still just so much opportunity. All right. Top three apps you can't live without. Ooh, apps. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm probably going to be boring. Uh, I would say top one is WhatsApp uh, because, uh, you know, it's kind of where everything personal and, and business related in real time is happening, at least for me. Uh, so if you take everything else, let me have my WhatsApp. I would say the other, because I'm on the road so much, my regular email, uh, which is how I kind of do my normal business when I'm on the move. And maybe the third one is pretty embarrassing, my sport app. Uh, I'm, uh, 
I follow a lot of sports from the couch. Uh, and since I'm not next to a TV a lot, uh, this is how I keep up. And uh, so I'm pretty much an addict to uh, getting, you know, score up, scores updates uh, from across the globe. Any particular sports that you focus on or is it broad? Uh, yeah, it's pretty broad. I would say now tennis, uh, Wimbledon is on. So mm-hmm. uh, definitely uh, uh, I was I was disciplined not to peek at my uh at my phone to to watch the scores now but yeah definitely tennis basketball nba uh football or soccer as it's called uh, here in in the us uh but almost everything that is played and 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 is competed uh, uh i would i would follow all right do you have a good uh podcast or book recommendation Oh, there's so many. Uh, but I think the latest book that I've just finished reading, uh, and I actually handed it to my uh, leadership team because I thought it was probably the best practical uh, scale scaling up uh, book. Uh, it's a book called uh, Amp It Up mm. uh, by Frank Slootman, uh, current CEO of Snowflake and a serial mega successful CEO. Mm-hmm. I think what Frank was able to do uh, in, a, in a phenomenal, probably the most one of the most uh, uh, successful careers uh, is basically bring it down to earth. What did he do in order to make uh, now three consecutive companies into mega success? Uh, an immigrant from from the Netherlands who came to the U.S. figured it out, and I think in a very smart way is kind of highlighting what it takes to scale up. Uh, so definitely, uh, I would say this is a very very recommended uh, uh, book. I haven't heard of that one yet. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, wait, I didn't know the founder of uh, or the CEO of Snowflake had a book out. I'm, I'm definitely going to check that, that one yeah, out. That's awesome. Check it out. Easy reading. Uh, but uh, I mean, you know, I, I, I take notes when I read these books and there's so much notes. That, that's how I know it. Uh, it made so much sense to me. And, and as I said, I handed it in my last uh, leadership offsite. I, I gave the book to basically everyone said, you know, let's read this. And if we, we do what, what Frank is saying, we're in good shape. What do you like to do for fun outside of work? Outside of work, what is that? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, well, I work hard, uh, but I enjoy this. Uh, mostly spending time with the family, uh, being outdoors, uh, going places out of the country. Uh, you know, with uh, definitely my wife and the kids that still want to be with us. Uh, and uh, but this is my true joy uh, when I take a uh, time away from uh, from work. Well, Udi, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background story, all the great things happening at Ernix, and obviously all the great advice. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.